0: Hello and welcome to Full Contact Nerd, where we talk about fiction and storytelling in all its forms, from the weird to the fantastic, horror, sci-fi, fantasy, thrillers, mysteries. Anything you can ask for, we have it. I'm Chris Alvarez, and thank you for listening. I'm speaking with Owl Goingback, author of Coyote Rage, uh, published in February 2019, which won the Bram Stoker Award, and uh, also Croda. Which won the Bram Stoker Award for Best First Novel, um, some years ago. Uh, thank you very much for speaking with me.
1: Well, thank you for having me on the show.
0: So let me talk about, uh, let's talk about Coyote Rage. Um, so with all the ideas as a writer, you have all these ideas in your head going, going around. Um, how did this particular idea kind of, uh, gain prominence and, and get written?
1: Well, oh, I wanted to do something with that incorporated Native American folklore, because I was raised hearing these stories, and the trickster stories, and, and a lot of people don't know them, and I just wanted to do something very traditional, something that almost seemed like an oral story rather than a book. Mm-hmm. And I fell in love with the characters, because Coyote, not only being an SOB, he's also very humorous. I mean, he does both good and bad. So I I heard about the Gollanlati, which was the Cherokee sky world, which is supposedly where everybody lived before here, the animals and the the people. And it got overcrowded. I said, nobody knows these, these tales. I like to incorporate it, but do my own story, but blend a little bit of the the folklore into the background. And back in the traditional tales of of the trickster's tales and the animal stories, the animals and the humans could all communicate. Mm -hmm. I said, well, that's wonderful. You know, you got this, you know, and they were larger than the animals today. And I wanted to use that and I wanted to use the whole shapeshifters you know, and the, the type stories because a lot of people believe in, you know, the witches and the shapeshifters and uh, wind walkers and, wind, you know, things like that. So I wanted to incorporate all that but have my own story. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what would be happened if you had a war between the animals and the people? Because basically we've driven them out and made a lot of them extinct. Mm-hmm. What if they want to get their land back? Mm-hmm. So I just started having all these ideas. And bringing in minor characters like Mouse and Raven, Mm -hmm. who became big stars in the stories, I'm going to continue, continue the story with them. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's just something I wanted to do. I wanted to do a more traditional story rather than a monster story.
0: Mm -hmm. And so which uh, Native American traditions do you pull uh, these ideas from?
1: Well, they're my ideas, but I, but I do season the backgrounds a little bit from the southeastern, you know, a little bit from the southwestern. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes I get myself in trouble for the African one. I did Crota. Uh, people, every review everybody did on Crota said Crota is a Native American legend. It's not. I made it up, I made up the monster completely. Mm-hmm. But I put a lot of the background, the teachings, and the folklore in, in the. In the in the background, which made it kind of realistic. In fact, uh, I've been ripped off several times by people who think it's a Native American legend <laughs> and think it's public use.
0: Oh boy, um, that's tough. And uh, yeah, okay, um, I guess that's sort of an homage to they say that, <laughs> you know, an Yeah, homage you're, to they're
1: making millions. The one, one was a big company, I think it was the same gaming company that made Halo. They come out with an extension pack called uh, uh, Crota's Lair. And it's about a, uh, a monster living underground on the moon in this ancient city. Well, Crota is about a monster living underground in ancient city on earth. Mm -hmm. But I have a feeling they thought it was, you know, public domain, but you know, you can't go after somebody who's got a billion dollars in the bank. So there's, there's, it's useless to try to sue them, but it hurts when you walk in and you see, uh, action figures and vinyl pops of the Crota. It's like, oh, breaking my heart, guys. Stop it. I invented that.
0: Yeah. Well, as long as you can, uh, Spread the knowledge that the character that you created, the character. I guess that that will help you in some way.
1: Well, it's kind of it used to be when you you Google Crota online, you'd see my book or, or come up about the winning the Bram Stoker. Or now you Google it online, it's all their game stuff. Yeah. So it's pretty well pushed me into the bottom of the ladder.
0: Hmm. Well, that's okay. That's not good to hear. I'm sorry to hear no, that.
1: It happens. It really does.
0: Yeah. Um. So is "Coyote Rage" is is that your most recently published work? Or...
1: Coyote Rage, yeah. It came out, uh, I think, what, last year? Yeah, it was a 2019, or 2019, actually, because it won the Stoker Award in 2020. Mm-hmm. So that's my, my latest novel, and I've done some short stories and things for other people since then.
0: Mm-hmm. So tell me a little more about uh, Coyote Rage, the, um, you know, protagonist setting and conflict. You mentioned a little already, but... Um...
1: Well, Coyote Rage is a story of Coyote, a uh, story of uh, people who meet... Uh, Once every, I think it's seven years in the sky world, Gollumate, and they have a great council. Mm -hmm. And every person and creature is represented, everything from little people to giants to uh, all the animals. Well, Coyote talks to the the chief of the council, and he's come up with a, a dastardly plot. He wants to kill the human representative at the council because hmm. if he kills a human representative then mankind loses power because they're no longer seated at the council yeah. and the animals will r- r- rule once again in the new world just which is, which is earth mm-hmm. so it's a plot for him to kill kill off the, the people who are sit at the council so of course you know some of the animals want to help coyote because they don't like mankind and some kind of like mankind because you know like the, like the raven it's, his people instead sit a starving in the winter time people leave out seed for him they leave out food for them Mm-hmm. So he wants to help the humans cuz it benefit his people. So you got the sides aligning and trying to do that. So part of the story takes place in the sky world but a great deal of it takes place here. Mm-hmm. And the human representative is a woman who runs a funeral home and her husband runs a cemetery. So, you know, you got the attacks going on and you also got the people siding to help them. Mm-hmm.
0: So what, uh, how, how is it defined genre wise? Would you say it's like horror fantasy, horror fantasy, or, you know,
1: it's, it's probably horror fantasy. I mean, it's got the horrific elements. I mean, I, I slaughter a bunch of people in a nursing home. I got people getting their heads ripped off. Um, mm-hmm. uh, pretty ferocious creature when he, he can not only change from, uh, from animal or animal to man, but he can stop the transformation halfway. So he's almost like a, like a werewolf type creature, the mm-hmm. shapeshifter, uh, so he's pretty horrific. So it's it's got the horror, but then it's got the fantasy elements too because uh, Raven is, you know, a shapeshifter too, but Mouse isn't. But he can talk to to humans who are members of the council. So you've got Mouse who's got the humorous fantasy element because he's flying around on Raven's back or he's riding with Raven, Ravens on his motorcycle in human form. So it's got a lot of urban fantasy to it too.
0: Oh, that's pretty cool. So how much, so it seems like, well, how much research, or was there any research you needed to do for, for this novel or others?
1: Well, my whole my whole lifetime was researching, hearing the stories growing up. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I've always loved traditional tales, and uh, I've always loved the folklore. And I consider myself more of a storyteller than a writer, because I try to do like uh, the elders used to do. It's when they taught you something, they would put the teaching element in the, in a story. Mm-hmm. And they throw it out in a story, and that way you're being educated whether you like it or not uh crota and several of my books are used at a youthful offender program at the orange county correctional facility and when you've got these 14 to 15 year olds who are in there for you know being dumbasses or they're in there for you know murder robbery things like that who've never really read stories and they're reading these books and i was kind of when i heard that they were doing it i was like guys you guys are using crota i kill a whole bunch of people in crota in horrible ways they go yeah But you talk about respecting your elders and living close to the land and the history of America. These kids are getting something out of it. I said, well, that's exactly what I I try to do in my writing is put stuff in there. And I went down a couple times to see the kids in jail, and they had an eight-week program. And if they read my books, they did a report on my books afterwards. At the end of that, they were rewarded by their families coming into jail with a home-cooked meal. Mm -hmm. I was like wow that means a lot to a child who's 15 who's sitting in jail serving sentence as an adult Mm -hmm. I said the fact that they read my garbage and they can come in with a home cooked meal have this little celebration Mm -hmm. and I've sat with these kids and they were one of the best audiences I've ever had they got so much out of these books and I was like wow if somebody could have got to them a few years earlier with traditional teachings or traditional values maybe they wouldn't be sitting in jail right now Mm -hmm.
0: yeah and and did that that experience, did it adjust maybe the way you, you wrote or did it change your writing in any way?
1: It didn't adjust it, but it, it served to let me know that I was doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. That, you Because know, I've done children's books. I've done you know, picture books who were also story uh, teaching elements. And I've, I've talked to people. and I've gone to schools, a lot of schools. And I've taught at powwows. So it showed that I'm, I'm doing the, the thing I'm supposed to be doing. I'm on the right path. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not about getting rich. It's never been about getting rich. It's my my life has been a proving I could be a writer, mm-hmm. and b trying to give something back to people because I I grew up in the country and we were dirt poor and I was very lonely experience i had no neighbors to play with so i was basically alone all the time Mm -hmm. so books saved me from being bored and pretty much going out of my mind Mm -hmm. they were there for me uh, works by ray bradbury and Andre norton edgar rice burroughs they took me on adventures when i was stuck in this little bitty town you know we were five acres land living in a mobile home i mean (laughs) it's a typical country story so they saved me from you know what would have been a you know a terrible childhood? It gave me a great childhood. So it's all about giving something back and maybe helping people in that mindset. Mm-hmm.
0: Did you have like a library you could go to to get these books? Or?
1: There was a small library uh, in town. It didn't have a lot of science fiction. I pretty much read everything they had. Yeah. Uh, but there's also, there was a Rexall drugstore. And they, they had a a, a a tiny book rack and a magazine stand. Mm-hmm. So while there, I also and uh, discovered Famous Monsters of Filmland. In fact, my yeah. first allowance as a child, I was nine years old. It was 50 cents. Mm-hmm. I bought a copy of Famous Monsters because they had werewolves all over the cover. Yeah. And it kind of shaped me, too. I fell in love with Monsters and the, the Universal Studios movies. And so, you know, the Monsters were always outsiders. Mm-hmm. They always did fit in. I always felt sorry for them because I was always felt like an outsider, too, growing up. Mm-hmm you know, especially being alone all the time. Yeah. So it gave me a a love of monsters and made me a monster nerd, a monster kid for a long time. And mm-hmm. what Crota, I tell people, it's not a horror novel. It's a monster novel. Mm-hmm. It's a monster story because I, I was sharing something that I love and giving back to the genre. Mm-hmm. So I always wanted to do a monster thing. I don't write about serial killers. I won't write about uh, terrorists. Mm-hmm. I want to write pure escape fiction for the guys who still love monsters.
0: Yeah, cool. So what town was that, if I may ask?
1: It was, I've really not, I have really—I said I would never, ever mention the name of the town because I don't want to give them credit because I, I didn't have a good time there. I left when I was 17 and joined the military. Ah. But it's like 70 miles west of St. Louis. Okay. So it's a little burg. The town was 1,200 people. It was so small it had one four-way stop sign. Hmm. I mean, there was absolutely nothing to do there. I knew if I stuck there, there was no opportunities. I had no money for college. Hmm. So I didn't want to stay there and be stuck there the rest of my life and have a job pumping gas. Hmm. So at 17, I jumped ship and joined the military. Uh, A month after I turned 18, I was in Spain. So it was wonderful.
0: Nice, nice. I'm speaking with Owl Goingback, author of Coyote Rage. You can find more information about his work at owlgoingback.com. If you like this podcast, Full Contact Nerd, so far, please subscribe to it and rate it if you can. Please sign up for my weekly newsletter at fullcontactnerd.com or chrisalvarez.com to keep up with my latest posts. You'll also find written interviews and my social media links there. You can find the links to my other podcasts at militaryhistorypodcast.com and technologyinspace.com. Now back to the podcast. Well, when you were young, did you ever imagine, like, with the wide open spaces, did you ever imagine, like, monsters around? Like, was it fear somewhere you were in your imagination, or?
1: No, I lo- I love that stuff. Now I was one of the I was a kid who always wanted to see Bigfoot, yeah. and I was always wanting to see Bigfoot and UFOs because I'm reading about this in the paper. But when the when the, the it got dark, I'd be laying in my bedroom with the windows open and listening to the animal sounds outside. and I'd be like, God, remember how I said earlier I want to see Bigfoot? Not at night, not in the dark. Let's <laughs> wait till daylight. <laughs> Let's hold that to tomorrow. Because it was scary, because you'd hear coyotes, and you'd hear there'd be deer on the property. So always something. Mm-hmm. In fact, Croto was inspired a little bit because um, the summer of '73, my aunt's house, she was on the edge of a national forest. Mm-hmm. There was something that screamed every night after dark, uh. and we don't know what it was. And rumors were, you know, black panthers, which supposedly didn't exist in Missouri. But I remember my co- we we weren't allowed to play out at night after dark. Mm-hmm. We all had to come in. All the kids had to come in it outside because there was something there. We didn't know what it was. And these are country people. They, you know, they're not scared of anything. Mm-hmm. And I remember my cousin showing me a tree, and this tree had huge claw marks in it, and they w- went higher than I could reach with my hand. And I was six foot when I was twelve, so I, I was pretty tall. Mm-hmm. So something had clawed this tree very close to their property. Mm-hmm. And of course, my imagination. I said, Well is a crow to the kind of." Sparked that thing because people said there was no bears in that area and there was no panthers but there had to be something we saw evidence of it and we heard it
0: mm-hmm. yeah how old were you when you started writing fiction
1: oh uh, probably i was in middle school it kind of i i wrote a in eighth grade we had to write a little one-page story two-page story and they read it in class and it was a comedy piece i wrote and the whole class laughed yeah. and i discovered then the power of fiction Mm-hmm. i said well I, I was kind of very shy i was uh overweight because i had a lot of health problems as a kid mm-hmm. and so i was very i'm very much a loner but then they liked my writing I, these people all heard this story they laughed and the teacher even put it on the wall for open house so i was like well there's power in fiction not only can i read the books and enjoy i'm going read stories but i can write my own and people liked it so it started from there
0: mm-hmm. so how- I, I put
1: Sorry, okay. I said, I put it aside for a long time. I, I went in the military and everything mm-hmm. and I didn't pick it up again. I, I got out of the military. and We opened up a restaurant in Georgia. Mm-hmm. And one night after work, we were sitting there and my wife, we we're watching a, a Stephen King interview.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And during the interview, my wife jokingly turns to me and said, why can't you be like him? I said, it's so stupid. And there, there was a challenge. He just got slapped with the gauntlet. <laughs> so,
0: the,
1: so the next day I sat down and started writing. Mm -hmm. with the purpose of selling. I said, okay, well, you write about what you know. And at the time, I was big into martial arts. Mm -hmm. So I wrote a martial arts article for a magazine, sent it off, and they bought it. I Mm -hmm. said, whoa, that's got to be beginner's luck. I said, I'll tell you what, I will sit down and write another one. And if it sells, I'll keep writing. If it doesn't, I'll give it up. Mm -hmm. So I wrote down another article, sent it off, and they bought it. So I, I did for the first couple of years. I did martial arts articles. But I didn't pay much, so I switched to fiction. Mm-hmm. And almost ten years to the date of watching a Stephen interview inter- interview with Stephen King, he was uh, I was up against him for the Bram Stoker Award for best novel of year, and all because my wife called me stupid. I mean, she still <laughs> calls me stupid, but you know, it got me going.
0: Yeah, that's cool. Um, so, did you ever have any formalized training in writing, or did you just kind of pick it up?
1: No, I mean, I had a, a I think a creative writing. Class in middle school, which really wasn't anything. We just went in and wrote a diary basically. Hmm. Uh, kind of inspired me when I was in high school, instead of doing English one, two, three, and four, they changed the program. So after English one, 1- they had like classes, semester classes, like literature of the supernatural and mystery literature, where you just just read books all day, and we had to write stories there. Mm-hmm. And I, I ended up writing a lot of stories for other kids in the class and charging them five bucks a story because they turned turn them in because they didn't want to write. <laughs> but yeah, it inspired me because we got the whole course was you read and write, so it was great.
0: Cool. So, um, so you mentioned some of the books you liked, some of the stuff you enjoyed. Um, what what are some of the other things maybe from then and up till now? that inspire you. And that can include books, music, movies, TV.
1: I'm a big pop culture nerd. I'm a, I'm big in science fiction shows. I love shows like the outer limits. Cause it's always has that ending where, you know, even though it's a monster of the week kind of show, it's always at the end. just like, well, mankind really doesn't know all the answers. There's stuff out there we don't know of. And I love that. Yeah. I, I'm big on that. I'm, uh, uh, I'm big on folklore and weird, weird stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, Florida's got a lot of great stuff. I mean, stories about lizard people and skunk apes and witches and things like that and towns disappearing. I thrive on that. I'm always reading nonfiction, just looking for that one line that will inspire me mm-hmm. to, to write a book. I wrote Darker Than Night because I was reading, looking at a book, and it had a story, an article about a lady in Spain.
0: Mm-hmm. And one day, the stain formed on her floor. And as it darkened, it turned into a face.
1: Mm-hmm. And they, several more stains formed, and they turned into faces. And they had photographs of this, of these faces. and They were horrific. You could tell they were faces. They were some kind of person's face. Mm-hmm. And they would, the town come in. And everybody got involved. And they tore up the, the floor a couple times of tile, put new tile down, and the things happened again. Mm-hmm. Finally, they went in there and dug up the concrete. It turned out this little old lady was living over a burial ground and containing the bodies of people who had been tortured in the Inquisition. Oh wow! I was like, wow. I said, you know, that's a story idea. What if you're having your cornflakes in the morning? You look down, there's a face looking up at you. And I, I said, well, let me tie it in with some with some native elements. I said, because the Hopi people believe that, you know, that their tribe, their people came up from underground. Hmm. That this is the fourth level and there's three below us.
0: Uh. I said, well, that's kind of food for thought. Cause that's pretty scary. Because, I
1: mean, if I look down from my cornflakes and saw a face under my kitchen table, I'm moving
0: out. Yeah. Thank <laughs> <You're> gone. <laughs> Um, do, do you remember a show in search of narrate, narrated by mm-hmm. Leonard Nimoy? That was a kind of yeah. freaky one.
1: <laughs> I love, I love shows like that because I always want to go out and find something. I want to be the guy that discovers the lost city or the, the weird creatures nobody's ever seen before.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That would be something. If Coyote Rage had sort of a, a, a soundtrack or, you know, what sort of aesthetic would it have? Is oh, it a wow. driving novel or is it kind of a slow burn? That's a tough
1: question. I never really thought about it. I mean, it, it's got a slow buildup. I mean, uh, you got to have some like Carlos DeKai, some Native American flute music in the background, some Robbie Robinson, because he he's a Native American. He does some great stuff. He, not only was he with the, the, the group called The Band, mm-hmm. and so you got the rock element. But, yeah, it would go from a slow burn up to Rob Zombie kind of thing. There would be elements, especially the chase scenes or the battle scenes where it would be hardcore metal, a little Metallica mixed in there, which is what I basically listen to when I'm writing stuff is, you know, I'll do the hardcore. Hmm.
0: okay okay um now as far as your writing process um do you have anything out of the ordinary that you think you do as far as um doing your drafts or maybe finalizing your work
1: nothing out of the out of the ordinary basically i mean i i always <laughs> like to write a long outline first I'll, I'll sit down i'll turn the computer on and i'll I'll number chapters like one through 25. Mm-hmm. And then for each chapter, I'll put, I'll write maybe a page or two, just get the idea on paper. Mm-hmm. Cause a lot of people, they don't do that and they'll get in the middle of the book and it, they'll get stuck. Mm-hmm. So by doing that, I'm forcing my brain to think out the, the general idea. And from that 25 pages or 25 chapters, I will do a long outline to send to the publisher telling them that I may change stuff in the middle of it. I may decide to kill off a character or change the ending a little bit, but here's the, the, the grist of the story. I mean, you know, you know, they can get something out of it. Mm-hmm. I and mean, I did that with a novel, Breed, which is set in St. Augustine. I uh, wrote it as a, with a happy ending in mind. Mm-hmm. But when I did the actual novel, when I wrote it out, I killed off one of the main characters because I saw it in my mind and die in a horrible way. It was too funny not to use it. <laughs> So, you know, everybody gets something that's in. I'm building up for the happy ending and it doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. So if I had people complain or say, you know, we didn't think it was going to end this way, but we like what you did. I said, well, it's too funny not to do it. I was driving home and had this image in my head and said, oh, I got to do this. (laughs) The editor never complained. The publisher didn't have any problem with it.
0: Cool. So looking back to um, when you won your award for Crota um, to now, has your approach to writing changed over time, like because of the awards you've won?
1: No, I'm still probably the laziest writer in the world. I get motivated when somebody waits a contract at me. I mean you know when i get I get an advance, I get real serious. I don't want to pay any money back, but otherwise i got to, my wifes yelling at me to do something you know? mm-hmm. but no I, I when I'm doing like a novel, I like to do like ten pages a day, mm-hmm. and it doesn't matter how long it takes me if i if I get those ten pages in done in one hour, I quit for the rest of the day. Mm-hmm. It's me time. It's a great motivation to do ten pages, but if it takes nine hours to write ten pages, I sit there for nine hours.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I try to knock it out in the morning. Then the rest of the day it's me time. I'm I'm reading or doing research.
0: Mm-hmm. Do, do you um do you overwrite and then edit back a lot, or underwrite and then add later?
1: I usually knock it out the, pretty much right around where it's at. I just mm-hmm. I, I polish constantly. I do several drafts to polish. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm like peeling an onion. I'm doing I do layers at a time. So I'll do I can't do a good. Draft the first time. I mean, it's not going to be perfect. There's a lot of things I'm going to change, but I'll I'll rewrite the thing probably four or five times before I'm happy with it. Mm-hmm. My wife always wants to come in and see a first draft, and I won't let her see them anymore because she'll find a spelling mistake or something to point out. I'm like, no, it's not perfect. I'm just getting words on paper for the first two drafts. Mm-hmm. I worry about polishing on draft four.
0: Mm-hmm. D- does your wife like horror?
1: She does. She really does. It's funny though when she read one of my when she book some of my books first came out like Darker Than Night mm-hmm. she would fuss at me if I'd come in here and try to talk to her as she was reading the book I was interrupting her uh-huh. and then she got weirded out by the story wouldn't like talk to me hardly at all for two days but it was still in her head it was still playing out
0: <laughs> uh uh-huh. yeah yeah um, so do you um have you, so I I know you said you don't like writing about serial killers and real stuff but and you like your fantasy horror. But have you ever had a, a horror idea that was just too much that you're like, oh, I can't put this in, in, in my
1: work? Yeah, I've done something I, I stopped. I mean, I wanted to do one which, uh, which involved a school shooting, and I'm glad I never did it because, mm-hmm. you know, it would it was right before Columbine. And mm-hmm. I said, yeah, that would have been really terrible. Yeah. I mean, as it was when Columbine happened, I saw a friend of mine's book, uh, a writer named Brad Lineweaver, the FBI was pulling his book out of the kid's locker. And I was like, typing, sending Brad an email, like, run, yeah. <laughs> they're coming for you. But yeah, there, there's some stuff, you know, he gets to the point. It's like, no, as for people getting ripping people apart with scary monsters that's just funny games for me mm-hmm. now if you see, come across an animal in one of my books if I have a dog or cat in there if you're an animal lover you're going to hate me mm. they never make it to the end uh. and people ask why do you do this why do you kill a cat why do you kill a dog I said because I get so much hate mail from killing an animal I mean Crota killed a whole bunch of people nobody cared mm. everybody loved the monster but when I kill a
0: dog I get hate mail because I killed a dog mm. and it's, I do it just to irritate people it's funny <laughs> Yeah. It seems like horror is, you know, it's always, you're, you're on that fine line of, of pushing to the edge, but not going over, you know?
1: Exactly. Well, I do, like I said, I do the escape fiction. So my story are a classic good versus evil. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I, basically, and it's mostly about the, it's about the characters. Every good story is character driven. Mm-hmm. You got to care about the characters the setting has got to be familiar with people It's something that you can relate to. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I've got people walking down lonely country roads in the Midwest. I mean, Things that folks can relate to small town America, the suburbs, and you know the a family typical uh, tr- traditional you know mother father couple kids kind of stories. Mm-hmm. But you know, is how they respond to a tr- horrific situation.
0: Mm-hmm. What's your favorite classic monster? You mentioned a few, but who, who who's your your favorite?
1: There's so many of them. I mean, I love I love the Wolfman. I mean, as a kid, I loved the Wolfman because, you know, I got picked on a little bit. So the Wolfman is a great monster because, you know, a couple days out of the moth, can get revenge and everybody's messed with him. <laughs> I mean, uh, Frankenstein, the movie I love because Boris Carlos performance. I mean, it's just amazing. I can watch that over and over again. He did so much with so little and not saying a word. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, you know, vampires, yeah, I can take them or leave them. I'm actually writing a vampire story now, a Dracula story. Hmm but yeah i like the the werewolves cuz they they are blended with the whole shapeshifter mythology
0: mhm how about like uh, the blob or like the, the 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 science creatures that are created
1: I, 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 I'm a big yeah i love the science fiction type horror i'm a big fan of the 1950s movies i love the blob i love them i love all the radioactive giant uh, grasshoppers. I mean, mm-hmm. I even like the, the one with the giant bunnies. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I can't think of the name right now. It's not a, it's not in my head, but one word. N- Night of the Lepus, where you had giant, terrifying bunny rabbits. I said, if you could do that in a movie with a nice soundtrack. I said, I love that stuff. It's just, yeah, yeah the whole size. Alien was, was one of the scariest movies ever made. Aliens with the S is probably even scarier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, the uh, the outer limits. uh, The reason I love it so much is because it is terrifying. It's science fiction, but it's very scary. Mm -hmm. There was uh, one with uh, the tumbleweeds were coming alive, and what it was was aliens' presence trying to make contact with man. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, there's a lot out there we don't know, and you know, it's it's very spooky. It's easy to draw from those those elements to write a story.
0: Yeah, yeah. So you mentioned being in the Navy. Um, Uh, Air Force. Oh, sorry, sorry. That's okay. (laughs)
1: Close (laughs) enough. (laughs) <laughs> uh,
0: in the service, I guess he said. yeah um, so t- tell me about some of the work, non-writing work you've done that may have influenced what you write or how you write.
1: Oh, uh, well, I also spent including being the, the air force. I was overseas, you know, for most of the time I, I did a tour of the middle East during the time of the Iranian hostage situation. Hmm. Uh, yeah, that's come back a few times where I've, I've used that kind of discipline. I, I was also a cemetery caretaker for, uh, almost eight years Mm -hmm. and it was a cemetery dates back to the 1800s and uh, in fact I I used that cemetery in Coyote Mm Rage and I used because they had history tours there and I incorporated one of the history tours in the story Mm -hmm. so I I used that setting because I just just wanted to do something with cemeteries in addition to burying hundreds of people Mm -hmm. I got to dig up a few so you know I've seen I've seen corpses quite a few times where we do a disinterment and they casket would fall apart and we'd have to wrap the body up with plastic sheets and bring it up with ropes so yes yeah, you know something you know it was fascinating to me i wasn't uh wasn't scared of it or her uh terrified by it and what i learned in the, in that business that uh cemetery business is they really there is really is something as a graveyard humor because while, while a family's mourning you know 50 feet away you got to the, got the cemetery workers telling jokes hmm. but it was kind of a defense mechanism because we didn't want to know the families we didn't want to know anything about them because it got too personal right and when, when they did get personal then it then it kind of get to you a little bit
0: mm-hmm. yeah how about um do you like you know the classic stuff like uh poe and maybe some of the lovecraft stuff do you like yeah that? i'm a big fan of poe and lovecraft i know lovecraft's
1: getting a bad rep now because you know his lifestyle mm-hmm. but you know people are di- people were different back then i mean the way people were raised and stuff and how they thought were different than today because they didn't know any better mm-hmm. so i'm not gonna you know him at the stake for what he was mm-hmm. i mean i'm still going to enjoy his stories i just understand yeah you know everybody's come to know that he's he was a racist back then but yeah so was half of america yeah i mean they really were i mean that was a racist time
0: that's true yeah and especially but, people always forget what uh how people treated native americans you know yeah it was, it was very
1: bad well, you know, with the whole Native American thing, I mean, I, I see a lot of people angry that, you know, they're like, oh, you should do this for what happened to us. I'm like, yeah, but you're telling people who had nothing to do with that debt. I, I, you can't, you know, you can't really redo history, mm-hmm. but you can know about it and, you know, understand it mm-hmm. and just don't make the same mistake twice.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. So the question I was going to ask was, uh, do you have horror creatures or characters that you've taken out of your works because they just were redundant or didn't quite work, and might you use them another time? Yeah,
1: well, I've got a couple novels I haven't done yet that are waiting. I just I'm trying to figure out how to work them right. I mean, because they I know the books need something, the characters need something. So they're they're on the back burner right now. And that happens. You get up to it, You have something that's like, well, you know, I really don't like where this is going, but I'm not smart enough to fix it right now. <laughs> you set it aside, come back to it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, a bit of a whimsical question here. When you were young, uh, what was there, any, what power technology or fictional setting did you yearn for or to be part of?
1: Hmm. <sighs> fictional setting i always wanted to do the quest i mean i always wanted to do that whole alone discovering type things like the lord of the rings uh yeah no technology because we i wasn't raised in a technology background i mean the first computer i ever saw took up an entire room hmm. i mean we didn't know anything about computers back then of course we didn't have the internet or anything mm-hmm. so in a small town yeah we were way behind so yeah it wasn't so I wasn't really drawn into hard science fiction. That would be uh, guys who like the technology usually end up writing science fiction. I, I can't write the hard stuff. Hmm. I was more into, uh, I always wanted when I was a kid, I wanted to be an archeologist because I was fascinated by lost civilizations. Hmm. I was, found it very interesting. I mean, you saw pictures of ancient Rome and stuff. And my question was, what was the daily life like? Hmm. I mean, they Historians recorded the battles and the the big thing, which is what we do today, Hmm. but the daily life, we don't even understand. I mean, people aren't even sure what was used during the time of Civil War, you know, when they went to the bathroom, you know, what tissue paper. I mean, Romans, you know, just recently, they only found out that uh, they used a sponge on a stick because one Roman senator took the sponge and stick after he'd used it and shoved it down the throat of another senator. If it wasn't (laughs) for that being recorded, that incident, we would never even know. little things like that are lost uh it fascinates me because these people went through trials and tribulations had the same hopes feelings and desires that modern man does Mm -hmm. i mean they were they were tested on a a regular basis like we are we're going through a you know really rough time right now Mm -hmm. but i'm thinking while we're going through this i'm like well my ancestors went through rougher times Uh, ancient egyptians romans they all had this I mean, some of these people went through time so bad that their civilization disappeared off the face of the earth. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking at what's happening now. Of how, it's how we we're going to respond, whether we get back to normal or somewhat normal and become a stronger nation because, because of it, mm-hmm. or we end up just being you know, empty ruins like people before us.
0: Yeah. I'm speaking with Owl Going Back, author of Coyote Rage. You can find more information about his work at owlgoingback.com. If you like this podcast, Full Contact Nerd, so far, please subscribe to it and rate it if you can. Please sign up for my weekly newsletter at fullcontactnerd.com or chrisalvarez.com to keep up with my latest posts. You'll also find written interviews and my social media links there. You can find the links to my other podcasts at militaryhistorypodcast.com and technologyinspace.com. Now back to the podcast. Um, do you ever, does your work ever touch on, um, South Native America? I don't know what the proper term is, but like Aztecs and Mayans and, and that.
1: Not really. Cause I'm not an expert on them. I'm fascinated by them, but I'm not an expert. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it's kind of, but when they disappeared, yeah, you have the Native Americans in North America who did not want to have big cities and things like that. Monuments. I often wonder if that's related because is it, are they related to the Aztecs and the Mayans? and they basically turned their back on that because the grandeur of the Aztecs and Mayans you had these great temples. You also had, you know, enslavement, human sacrifices and things that went along with it. Mm. Was it a case of government getting too big? And, you know, you got basically the people in this continent are, are almost like the hippies. They were back to the, back to the earth <laughs> kind of thing going on. <laughs>
0: That's a very... The mounds
1: in this country, when they showed up, uh, when the white explorers showed up, they asked a lot of the native people who built the mounds. And a lot of times the response was, we don't know, they were here before us. Mm. So, so there's a whole, you know, a whole race of people, whole generations that are just forgotten. Nobody knows who did what.
0: Yeah. That's a, that's a very interesting contrast, um, that you point out. Yeah. That's, that's food for, for thought. So what, what's your, um, what's your current work then? What, what are you working on? You may, I think you touched on it a little. Right now
1: I'm currently working on a, a short story for an anthology, which, uh, it's a, basically classic monsters, retelling tales with classic monsters. Hmm. And I, I picked Dracula. Because, you know, I've never done a vampire story, but I wanted to do Dracula, not so much, you know, because he's a vampire, because he was a shapeshifter. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, he he changed into mist, changed into wolves. I said, but I, you know, if he attacked in a shapeshifting form, he would still have the intelligence of the human, whereas a werewolf basically lost all control. Uh. So I wanted to have that. That way I could tie it into folklore of the the Western tribes with their skinwalkers and things like that. Mm -hmm. I said, you know, if... Somebody back then saw Dracula. They might think he's a skinwalker. They might think he's a witch Mm -hmm. because of what he could do.
0: Yeah, it makes me wonder about like all the different, you know, obviously there were lots and lots of Native American tribes um, in the past before, you know, all the devastation. I'm just thinking about just the multitude of traditions, even like the stuff that's connected to horror that's out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's
1: why I find fascinating for for years. I've been writing stuff for thirty years and, and incorporating stuff because nobody was doing it. Mm-hmm. And I didn't. I wasn't saying I'm going to use it because somebody else. I wanted to share it because mm-hmm. it was fascinating to me. Uh, when I wrote up this researching Hopi legends, I came across a legend where they talked about a, a tribe of people attacking one village, attacking the other on flying shields. I was yeah. like, "Whoa, whoa, back the hell up!" Flying shield. <laughs> I got a UFO story and a Hopi legend dating way back. I said, "And nobody's caught this." Yeah. And so it made me kind of like, "Hmm." So you look at the, you know, the rock carvings out in the Southwest where they look like they're wearing helmets or things like that, or you go down to South America where the tribes who would misshape the children's heads, mm. and you look at the skulls of the people who misshaped their heads, and they look like the drawings we're doing of the grays for the UFOs. Now mm. I'm like, "Okay, now that gives me a theory. What if?" You know, they did that because they saw it. And huh. The people who they saw looked like that were very powerful and very strong in their eyes. I mean, that would be an incentive for somebody to make their child look like that. Yeah. So, what if they had visitors? I mean, what if what we're reporting were down drawings it all tied in? And that's why they made, did the whole skull misshaping the because they saw an alien.
0: Wow, that's a cool idea. I was, and maybe this, you already answered it now, but I was going to ask, what's the most fantastic or out there uh, Native American a tradition that you've come across.
1: Oh. Well, there's not. it's not exactly out there but the Choctaw Indians go up to Cahokia Mound in Illinois every year and they do a ceremony to the Sky People. Mm-hmm. So the, a lot of the the Choctaws and Cherokees, a lot of the tribes talk about they're from the from the seven sisters they're from the pleiades Mm -hmm. so you got this whole story about them being related to people from another another world Mm -hmm. when it ties into the whole cherokee sky world story of gala latte it's like what if when they say sky world they're talking about another planet yeah i said what if there were visitors what if the native americans do tie back I mean, you've got the, the carvings on the walls and things that can't be explained. I mean, I was a big fan of the chariots to gods and those type books. Hmm. I mean, you've got stuff that we just can't understand today and we can't recreate today with modern technology. Mm-hmm. So there's got to be something, a missing link somewhere that explains everything.
0: Yeah. And I want to make it clear. I don't mean to minimize the, the value of the tradition when I say that, you know, like out there
1: um yeah yeah it's, it's it's yeah i'm always constantly coming across stuff that made me back up and i'm like you know did i just read this and this, this is gonna be off another avenue of research because mm-hmm. i love tracking this stuff down trying to find it uh a friend of mine who writes a, a series of books uh eerie florida and he had a story about uh, lake Wales. and i already knew a, a legend of lake Wales about a water monster down there mm-hmm. but he came up with a story from the I, i'm not sure if it was the 30s or 40s where this lady had an orange grove, and they caught a mysterious creature in a, a live trap. Mm. And it looked like a little human. And they supposedly uh-huh. gave it to the cops. Uh-huh. And they turned it over to the police. They didn't know what to do with it. It was like a little troll-type creature. And after they did that, then they started getting their house, started getting bombarded with oranges. And they they looked. Somebody throwing oranges at their house, and it was more of these creatures. So they called the police up and said, bring it back. Mm. They brought it back and turned it loose, and all the problems stopped. So yeah. I'm like, whoa, whoa, police were involved in this. There's got to be documentation somewhere that some key tro- 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 creature was caught in a trap.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, that's freaky. That's uh, I'm particularly afraid of lil lil people. So that that freaks Uh, me out.
1: (laughs) There was a lot of legends, especially with the the southeastern tribes of the Cherokees, about the little people. There's still places today they won't go. Hmm. Uh, Up in North Carolina, I think it's Franklin County, there are some caves up there, and they appear to be man-made, and they're very small, where you have to stoop down to get into them. And they found very small tools and stuff. So the Cherokee and those people in that area are very firm believers of the little people. Hmm. In fact, when the Vikings first came to this land, there was uh, reports from them about little people who were describing so there's, there's something out there once upon a time. I mean, you know, there's a, I got a picture in a book from a cave. I think it's in New Mexico or Nevada, mm-hmm. where they opened up an old mine shaft and they found this little creature sitting on a shelf and it's a very small baby, 18 inches tall. And when they identified, when they took it and researched it, this creature had a skull caved in, but it, it's not a baby. It's not an infant. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, you know, it's fully developed, but somebody killed it and put it up on the shelf and it became mummified.
0: Yeah. So it ties in with the whole little people
1: and it's uh, little people are in a lot of folklore. When the Lakota people do a sun dance out in the South Dakota area, there's a valley called the valley of the little people and they won't go to it. Mm. And friends of mine who participated in the, the, the sun dance, they were camping near that area and one woke up because his tent was being shaken and he looked out of his tent and his, his friend's tent was nearby and it looked like somebody was climbing up the tent. You couldn't see him, but you see how the fabric was being
0: grabbed as something was climbing up. Yeah. Uh, so this you, is, you know, still stories where the Native
1: people of today will tell you they don't go. Yeah. You leave the little people alone.
0: All right. You just gave me chills. I got kind of freaked out <laughs> hearing that Well, see, stuff. this is the
1: stuff I love to incorporate <laughs> into stories. I mean, just yeah. even if you touch on it in the background, I'll do an entire book just to say one line like that. Mm-hmm. It's just something about the little people. In fact, Coyote Rage has a little person in it. I, I incorporated oh, really? the little people. Little guy in there.
0: Oh boy. Yeah. I made, I,
1: him, a, I made him a bone picker because the, the Cherokees and the Choctaws and the Southeastern tribes had people they called bone pickers. Uh-huh. And what they were, they grew their fingernails very long. They were identified by tribal tattoos. And their job was, after the bodies had been left out to the elements, they, well, they took their fingernails and pulled the, the dried flesh off the bones, presented the remains to the family for burial. Mm-hmm. I said, well, you know, that's great. Bone pickers. I mean, the whole concept of that.
0: Yeah. That's wow. And, and, and even though it freaks me out, I enjoy it. So, you know, it's, you know, you know how it is, you know, you're freaked out, you want to get away, but you also want to get closer.
1: (laughs) The whole thing, you read these stories in the daytime at nighttime, you say, God, I really don't want to see one now.
0: Yeah. 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 I'm sensitive to all that. So, um, well, where can people find you online? Do you have a website, social media?
1: I do have a website. It's not as good as it used to be because my, my webmaster, the, the wonderful science fiction writer, Vonda McIntyre passed away mm-hmm. of, oh, I think it was cancer. And she maintained, I didn't know she was that sick and I never moved it over. I do have one now. It's owlgoingback.com. There's not a lot there, but I'm also on Twitter and I do have a Facebook page. Mm-hmm. Uh, I post a lot of stuff open on a Facebook page where I keep people updated what's coming out, the new stuff.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. And I'll spell that for, for listeners. It's O-W-L. G O I N G B A C K dot com. Yeah. And, exactly. do you, and you use that same your name also for Twitter and Facebook?
1: Uh it's it's O Going Back on Twitter. The reason is when I first went on Twitter, mm-hmm. some lady had the name going Back dot com, which I don't know whether why she was using my name. I don't know if it's a compliment or not. She was following people I knew. So mm-hmm. it was kind of strange, but after I got on Twitter then she left. So I, I'm still O Going Back at Twitter.
0: Oh, okay. Okay. Um, all right, so that's all the questions I have. Do you have any final thoughts or words?
1: No, I mean, you know, we're going through some tough times, and people want to get their minds off some of the things that are going on. Read books, I mean, uh, books will take you places where you know you can travel, leave the problems behind for a little while with books. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know a lot of people, you know, they're TV fascinated, but yeah, a good old story beats anything nowadays. I yeah. mean, you can learn a lot of books, and it can, you know, it can entertain you, get us through these times. Mm-hmm. I mean, hopefully things will go back to normal. I mean, maybe we'll get to be able to hang out again and go to restaurants and do stuff, but if you're stuck at home, get yourself a library started.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Plenty of opportunity. Um, all right. Well, thanks thanks again for speaking with me.
1: Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun.
0: Thank you for listening. If you like this podcast, Full Contact Nerd, please subscribe and rate it if you can. If you want more fiction and fiction studies ranging from ancient mythology to modern-day sci-fi, fantasy, and horror, please sign up for my weekly newsletter at fullcontactnerd.com or chrisalvarez.com to keep up with my latest posts. On my webpage, you'll also find written interviews and links to my social media accounts on YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. I also discuss art, acting, comic books, gaming, and much more. Thanks again, and keep imagining the past, the present, and the future.